When Jesus had again crossed the lake by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Do not be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. Paul, I know a few of you are watching the Super Bowl later tonight. Anyone else watching the Super Bowl? Super Bowl 27 in 1993 was a pretty terrible game. It was the Dallas Cowboys versus Buffalo Bills, pretty much over in the first half. But it is remembered for the mo- one of the most famous halftime shows. Anybody remember who performed in 1993? Anybody? Michael Jackson. Yeah, Michael Jackson. The show starts with him popping up out of the scoreboard on the side, if you remember on the big teleprompter. It was obviously a body double, not him. Because Then he does it again on the other side. And then pops up in the middle of the stage, uh, in the middle of the field. As he does that, he then just stands there, completely still, for a full one minute and 28 seconds. You know it was that because the producer tells us about it <laughs> in a, uh, um, uh, a documentary that was made after the fact. Apparently, Michael had stipulated in his contract with the producer that he wanted to decide when the music would start. So there was a cue. The producer was not to start the music until Michael reached up and took his sunglasses off. 
all well and good. The producer didn't know how long he was going to wait. He did that. And in the documentary, uh, this producer talks about the experience and explains that with live television, every second of dead air is like an eternity. So according to this producer, that is the equivalent of 88 eternities. <laughs> 88 seconds worth of eternity. Michael was for saying, you have to make him wait. You have to let him marinate in the expectation. The producer wanted to pull the trigger, but the deal was made and he wanted to honor the deal. The result was that it was the first Super Bowl halftime show in which the ratings exceeded uh, the actual ratings for the rest of the game. The halftime show was more popular. Some things are worth the wait. Today, as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, we are reflecting on this time when Jesus made people wait. It's a story about two daughters, an interruption, and two life-changing miracles that occur. Our text this morning began with the desperate love of a father. A father who would do anything for his daughter. And it's not just any father. This father is a synagogue official, which is an important detail. Because up to this point, we've really only heard from the religious leaders that they are suspicious of Jesus. That, uh, and maybe that they have rejected him in some different ways. Now we all of a sudden see this man, Jairus, coming to Jesus in desperation. Desperation can do that to a person, right? He says, my daughter is dying. Please, I'm begging you, come to help her. And so Jesus goes. But along the way, he's interrupted. Now what we see here is actually a narrative tool. Uh, you've got one story with a separate story kind of wedged in there. Uh, and but as that happens, it kind of enriches both of them along the way. Mark actually uses this little storytelling device so often in his, in his gospel that they named it after him. It's called a Markin sandwich. Because the middle narrative is kind of like the meat you put in the sandwich, and then the story that kind of comes at the beginning and the end provides the buns to the sandwich. Um, so there's this, this interruption, and it's got to turn out to be very important along the way. As the proud's Press in against Jesus, this woman who is desperate for healing claws her way up to grab uh, a chance to touch his cloak and hopes that perhaps, just maybe, she might find relief from the suffering that she has experienced, this chronic bleeding over the last 12 years. It actually doesn't go into a ton of detail about why or where the bleeding occurs. All that we know is that it's been a source of suffering and humiliation for years now, not just because of the illness itself but because she sunk all of her resources into all these health expenses. She's seen doctor after, after doctor. Uh, not only has she received no answers or relief from her pain, but her condition has actually gotten worse. Now, this is unfortunately way too relatable of a story. Right? Imagine having these grueling emotions that accompany going to the doctor and no answers uh, to, to come from any of that for what's happening or imagine the defeating and humiliating conversations that can happen with health insurance companies and hospitals trying to figure out how you're going to afford visits and treatments for whatever is happening to you when you still don't know what's going on. Maybe this isn't too far of a stretch of the imagination. It can be soul-crushing. And all this woman wants is to be done with it. She just wants to be done. So she reaches out and she grasps this cloak works. It works. She immediately feels the relief. She's healed. She's home, home free. Thank you. Not quite yet. 
Jesus notices that power has gone out from him in some form. Stops everything. Who touched me? Who touched me? He just stands there and he waits. Kind of like Michael Jackson. Jesus just stands and waits. And for the disciples and Jairus and everyone else, it's like an eternity passes for each second that goes by. The disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? Can't you see the crowds over here? There's way too many people. How would we ever be able to know who touched you? But he says, no, this matters. Stops everything. He wants to find out who did it. It says in verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole thing. Now, it doesn't tell us what the whole truth was or why she was trembling with fear. Perhaps she was telling him about her condition, her experience with doctors. That would explain why Mark knew the details leading up to the event. But it still doesn't entirely explain her fear and trembling. Maybe she was afraid that she's done something to take away this power from Jesus, and now he won't be able to help Jairus' daughter. Or maybe she's ashamed of her condition, worried that somehow she's made Jesus unclean because she touched him while she was ill. Or maybe she was just afraid and worried because she's been singled out now amongst all the crowd trying to do something for herself. Some of us might not necessarily think it's bad to try to do something for yourself, right? Um, but for others, it can feel almost wrong to ask for anything for ourselves. Now this woman's being called out. Jesus is making a scene. He's been interrupted on his journey to go heal this official's daughter. And it's her fault that they're delayed. Of course she's afraid and trembling. But then what does he say? Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. And all the times that I had uh, read this text before, uh, there was this one detail that I, I never really paid much attention to until now. That he starts out by saying, daughter, daughter. There's two daughters in this text. Two daughters. One has been sick as long as the other one has been alive. Jesus looks at both of the individuals in this text, both daughters, and says the same thing. Daughter, you are precious and beloved. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life, what concerns you brought with you this morning, but I know one thing, the truth from this text. Jesus sees you. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. He knows your hurt. He knows your cares, your, your concerns, your worries. He knows the anxieties that we have poured over for years. He sees you. He loves you. He's here for you thinks it's worth making a commotion for you so that everybody else knows what you are worth to him. My son Wilder has started doing this uh, fun thing. I think I don't know if you picked it up from Lydia at some point, uh, but he loves to go up to everyone and say, I love you. You're the best. You're the best. Now, you would think that it kind of loses its uh, meaning when he says it to everyone, right? You're the best. But it doesn't because he means it. You can tell he means it for every person that he talks to. And you just feel this all warm, fuzzy inside whenever he says it. 
Jesus sees you. He loves you. He thinks you the best. He wants to care for you. That's all well and good for this woman, but what about Jairus' daughter? Jesus was taking his sweet old time making a scene about this woman touching his robe. Meanwhile, the delay has resulted in Jairus' daughter passing away before Jesus can make it to the house. Understandably, the relatives figured that it was no use bothering him anymore. Likely a mixture of grief, maybe some bitter annoyance at what had happened. And uh, I have once heard somebody describe this event as if Jesus was in an ambulance with Jairus', uh, with Jairus on the way to go uh, help his daughter. And as they're driving in the ambulance, Jesus looks out the window and sees there's a woman on, at the intersection who has a sign asking for help, and he stops the ambulance gets out, turns the sirens off, and talks to this woman. And you can imagine Jairus sitting in the ambulance thinking, I mean, yes, she needs help. I'm glad that you're helping her, but come on, right? When are we, how long is this going to take? When are we going to go to help my dying daughter? And then getting a phone call. Too late. Too late. Everybody knows there's no coming back from that. Right? This guy might be good, but he's not that good. Right? Jesus' response mirrors his response to the woman. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Probably the most insensitive thing he could say at that moment. Right? To a grieving family just lost a 12-year-old daughter, he says, just have faith. It'll all be okay. She's just sleeping. They laugh at him because they think he must be crazy, or maybe he's missed some important part of the announcement. But he hasn't missed anything. He knew exactly what he was doing. And in his perfect power, Jesus raises this girl from the dead. For Jesus, hope is not limited by the grave. Hope endures. The waiting not arbitrary or reckless. It was on purpose. Jesus was showing both the woman and this father something important in his actions. He's not just healer. He's the king of kings able to overcome death itself. Jesus transforms us in the waiting. What are you waiting on in your life? Where are you beginning to lose hope? There's two uh, other texts I want to share with us this morning. First Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slow, slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In Luke chapter 11, starting verse 9, he's talking about prayer, and he says, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. He goes on to say, Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Sometimes the Lord does make us wait. But it doesn't mean he's forgotten or that he's ceased being good. For the older woman in this, this text, 
She came looking for a quick healing without any fuss about anything. Instead, Jesus showed her that she's worth the fuss. The father came looking for healing for his sick daughter. Instead, Jesus showed him a hope even more profound than he ever could have imagined. You see here that in his waiting, Jesus wants to transform us to the very core of our being. And that is worth the wait. When Michael Jackson agreed to do that halftime show, he didn't need to do it for his career. He was already the biggest pop star in the world. But he agreed to do it because it would give him the biggest platform possible to spread his message, what he said. And what was that message? Well, after a medley con uh, consisting of Jam, Billie Jean, Black or White, uh, Michael brought out thousands of kids in a choir to join him singing, We Are the World and Heal the World. And then he gave a speech saying, We stand together all around the world, joined in common purpose to remake the planet into a haven of joy and understanding and goodness. No one should have to suffer, especially our children. This time we must succeed. This is for the children of the world. It didn't really make a lick of difference. It was a nice sentiment, great show, but it was just that, performance. And for all his sentiment, at the end of his life, Michael Jackson would ironically be known not for healing the world and protecting children, but dying of an overdose and accusations of not saving children, but hurting them. Pyrotechnics, good music, a flashy platform, and a message that everyone in the world could agree on did not change the world. But Jesus did. Jesus didn't seek for fame or notoriety. Instead, the God of the universe came down, humbled himself to walk amongst us so that he could change one life at a time. He became interruptible so that he could, we could know that he sees us. He became interrupted so that he could demonstrate that it is never too late for God to move in power. He came to show us that the grave would not have the last word. That even when we have turned on him and given him all of our hatred and our bitterness, that he would conquer death and return uh, our, our bitterness and hatred, grace, forgiveness. So, may we worship this morning knowing that we are seen, we are loved, and there is nothing that God cannot express. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all of the ways that you have been living and active in our world throughout all of your history. Lord. We thank you for this, this testimony of these two daughters. What we learn about your hope that meets us in the midst of our waiting. Whether we have been yearning for uh, your help for such a long time, whether we are in the immediacy of the moment of, of deep despair and worry, that we can know that you are near, that you are sufficient. We come to you, Lord. We give you all of ourselves. Pray that in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review? 
or share a link to it on your social media page. All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyroad.org give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.